This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to a brand new week on the show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. Nothing's off limits. All we need you to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app and you'll be connected directly to the studio producer just hit the call now button at the top of the screen and they'll take care of everything else hey hope you had a great day at church yesterday paula and i had the privilege and honor of being invited to speak at calvary chapel south san antonio Uh, pastor joel ortega a dear dear friend of ours and it was good i got to see some old faces that we haven't seen in a long time uh, and I just, uh, it's just really a, a great opportunity when we get to do that. And uh, for those of you who are down there at the church, thank you for making us feel so welcome. You were truly a blessing to us. We got some wonderful worship from their worship uh, leader, uh, a beautiful woman whose name is is Luce. And uh, it just, it was just a really good day. So thank you all, those of you who knew I was going to be there and we're praying. Hey, a couple of things before we get started. i got to warn you in advance, we're going to get the beep, beep, beep. I've been here all day feeling like I was in a dental chair with the scraping, the heavy-duty construction going on just outside our door. Uh, we, we can't do anything about it, even even we insulate the door. Um, so uh, just please bear with us for a few more days. They ought to be done pretty soon with this stretch of highway right outside us. Uh, but please uh, do that. And then uh, tomorrow, an announcement, I'm going to have a special guest, Pastor Hector Velarde from Calvary Chapel of North San Antonio, is going to be my guest, and uh, you will be so blessed. Um, so we look forward to that. We would love your live calls and questions. Uh, I like putting new people on the spot, so ask him some tough questions tomorrow. Finally, tonight... Uh, is our men's and women's and youth Bible studies here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Um, Pastor Will's wife, Natasha, will be teaching the ladies. Pastor Ken, of course, will be teaching the men. And we also have our junior high and high school uh, Bible studies going on at the same time. So uh, please um, 
come visit. It can be a whole family thing. Um, ladies, you can watch online at calvarysa.com. And then a special shout-out to uh, uh, a grandson, Matthew, uh, for completing his senior year in college. He did his uh, thesis presentation uh, on Friday night, and uh, we are so very, very proud of him. This time of year where we get to see people growing up before our very eyes, it's an amazing thing. Matthew is one, he's one of our youth pastors. He is uh, also uh, uh, part of the uh, Makasadia Three, uh, our, uh, part of our worship team, uh, Pastor Lane and Jocelyn's son, and uh, I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Well, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls. Remember that you're more interesting than I am, so we would love uh, to have your calls and questions. First question today comes from Rodney. He says, Pastor Ron, I know evangelizing is a gift from God. How would I respond to someone who says he doesn't share his faith because he doesn't have the gift? You know, Rodney, I think the only way you can do it is say it's, it's a responsibility for all of us. Uh, there truly are some people who are wonderfully, miraculously gifted to evangelize. Uh, I, I'm frankly not one of those people, but I share because it's my duty as a Christian. The Apostle Paul, writing to Philemon in verse 6 of his letter, it says, I, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And Rodney, if people aren't sharing their faith, it's just because they don't really get it. They don't understand what a wonderful gift it is. I understand the stigma in the world that we live in. I understand that people uh, will oppose you and people will reject you and some will mock and make fun of you. But you know what? They did all of those things to Jesus, so it puts us in pretty good company. So what I would say to him is regardless of whether you have the gift of evangelizing, you have the responsibility to evangelize. And that's a command given to all believers. You know, if you really believe that this good news is the best news ever, then it's unloving not to tell people. And Rodney, you can tell your your friend, I don't know how he explained to Jesus, if, if he thought uh, he was going to be able to say, well, I didn't share you with people because I didn't like them making fun of me or, or I didn't want to be uncomfortable. I was putting them in a, an uncomfortable situation. So evangelizing, sharing our faith is something that we all have the responsibility to do, whether we feel gifted or whether we feel like we want to do it or not. It is our responsibility. So Rodney, pray for your friend. Pray for your friend. Again, I want to say this. It's very important. If you're not sharing your faith, you don't get it. I don't have anybody calling, so let me take one more minute with this. You know, I was talking about this a little bit in a, in a slightly different context uh, yesterday at uh, Calvary Chapel, South San Antonio. You know, one of the things that we need to do is get over ourselves. We need to love people enough that we have to tell them the truth. And all you have to do is be just a little bit attentive. Listen to the things they're saying. Watch what they're doing. I, I look at ball caps, what, what they say on the cap or on T-shirts. You can always find something to talk to someone about. Now, I'm blessed because I have Paula when, whenever I'm someplace. 98% of the time she's there with me. 
And she can talk to anybody. But the import here is that we love people enough to tell them about our Jesus. And if we're not doing that, as I said, we're just really not aware of the treasure that we have. Rodney, thanks for the question. Pray for your friend. Jonathan asks, is there a time, well, it's related, I guess. Jonathan says, is there a time when we should stop sharing with someone who continually rejects the gospel? Um, Jonathan, I always stop sharing when people stop listening. Um, you know, I'm not going to pound somebody over the head. Um, I'm, I'm just going to share as long as their attention is given. I, If they don't want to hear it after I've shared it in love, well, then I'm going to stop sharing it at that point. So that's that's just how I do it. I know some people say, well, I'll never stop sharing. Um, the point is at some point it becomes counterproductive. So somebody who rejects it, I'll tell them, Jonathan, that, okay, I've told you the truth. It's not my fault. Now it's between you and God, and he's going to do a wonderful job of chasing, which incidentally, if you notice it, that's just another way of sharing the very same thing with him. Tell him God loves him. Tell him you're going to keep praying for him. But when they stop listening, Jonathan, that's when we stop talking. Here's a question. These are the kind of questions that I don't really like to get simply because I don't... um, I don't know the answers. <laughs> um, Andy says, Andy says, if you weren't a pastor, what would you be? Do you ever wish you were doing something else? Andy, I spent the first two-thirds of my adult life wishing I was doing anything other than what I was doing. I've been a pastor here at Calvary Chapel for 26 years. And there hasn't been a single moment that I wanted to be doing anything else. I tell our church all the time, I have the best job in the history of the world. I get to work with the the best people in the world. Uh, I love when new people come to our church and and I get a chance to, to be introduced to them. And I always tell them the best thing about this church is these people. Look at these people. I get to, to, to serve these people as their pastor. So no, I don't ever wish I were doing something else. Uh, Andy, the only thing I can say to you, if I weren't a pastor, uh, I would be the second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I've wanted to be that since I was a, a five-year-old kid. That's, that's the only thing I ever really wanted to do. And uh, obviously I'm a little too old for that now. But God has given me something even better. I, I just don't know. I have a business background, uh, all of that before I got saved. But the, the minute I met Jesus in 1991, February of 1991, from that moment forward, Andy, I knew that I wouldn't serve anybody else ever. I wouldn't work for anybody else ever. That my life was 100% committed to Jesus Christ. And it has been the richest, most satisfying the abundant life Jesus promised all of us. And and every one of us, called to be a pastor or not, if you do what he asks you to do, that abundant life is yours. So I don't know what I would do. I think of the people in my life now um, for these last 26 years, the, the, the people that God has brought, the changes in their lives that we've been able to 
to to watch and and in some small way partner in. And I just think I can't imagine missing out on this calling. If I'd said no, or if I was afraid, or if I felt like, well, no, I, I could make more money doing something else, or I could have more fun doing something else. That wouldn't be true, by the way. But but uh, I, I just can't imagine uh, mine and Paula's lives without the people here from our church that have been such a, a an important part of our life. Yesterday, and I wasn't here yesterday, I got to talk to them on Thursday, which was their anniversary, but uh, Thursday was the 50th wedding anniversary for uh, David and Linda Luna. They come to our church, and 50 years, they both look way too young to be married 50 years. But um, yesterday in church, we were able to put up uh, pictures from their wedding, and I got to watch that online, and, uh, you know, you just see them, and 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 I've been a part of that for a long time. Now, I don't think Dave and Linda have been here for all 26 years, but they've been here for a long, long time. And, you know, I get to watch children grow up. I get to watch uh, kids that I dedicated. I get to watch as they bring their kids to me to be dedicated. I get to watch kids that grew up in our school. Now I get to watch as they work for our school as they do the teaching now. Um, it's just the richest life ever, Andy. And uh, all I can say is is uh, it's better than my life ever would have been if I were a Hall of Fame second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Andy, thank you for the question. But those are the questions that I never really quite know how to answer. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one from Scott. Uh, yesterday, Ken was preaching from Second Peter 3. He did a great job, and my wife and I were truly blessed by the word he brought to us. There was one section that I still didn't understand uh, much. Could you please explain chapter 3, verse 5, where it says, But they deliberately forgot that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. What does water mean? Um, Scott, in, in the beginning, remember there was water... Beneath the earth, there was water above the earth, and God brought all of that out of water. Now, in Noah's flood, the earth was sort of, and I'm using this loosely, so don't anybody accuse me of being a heretic, uh, the water, the, the earth was sort of rebaptized. When everybody but Noah and his family were destroyed, it was sort of rebaptized. And so, what we understand now is that. Uh, from Adam and Eve, later from Noah and his family, everybody who's ever been born came from them. And and uh, it all happened by God's word. And the earth was formed out of water and by water. So that's what it means. It's, it's, it's a reference to literal water. But remember, he says that water symbolizes baptism. When we are baptized into Christ, immersed into Christ, then we too have been born again by the hand of God. What a great question, Scott. And yes, uh, I haven't got to to listen to all of Pastor Ken's uh, message yet, but uh, uh, he is a wonderful Bible teacher and did a great, great job yesterday, the part that I have uh, listened to. So thanks a lot for the question. And uh, Pastor Ken, I don't think you're listening probably, but thank you as well. Let's go to line one and talk with Dee from San Antonio. Dee, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Okay. Um, I had the opportunity 
to witness to my nephew this weekend. And mm-hmm. through the conversation, I found that he is not an atheist, but an agnostic. He's had some Christian experience, like going to church with other people. And uh, he even dated a Christian at one time. And through that, she was trying to pretty much um, uh, speak to him about the gospel. Uh, but for the last 15 years, he has been on a search, and he's gone through Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, astrology, the occult, uh, etc. He's hit them all almost, and he has. Um, he says he's not looking for a purpose to his life. I'm not sure I believe that, and <laughs> the one thing I didn't do, I didn't ask him what he thought his purpose in life was which I should have, but I forgot to do that. But in his words, he is looking for liberation or freedom from the controls in this life, to paraphrase him. Um, he made mention about not having the control and not having to be constrained by having to work and having to, uh, the only reason why he does because of his son, and uh, he wants to be liberated from having to do uh where the world is, it's controlling us, as he says. And um, what do you say to someone like this? Uh, he's very knowledgeable about all these different isms, but I couldn't understand or I couldn't get through to exactly what he thought his purpose was. And uh, I wish you would have been there because I got to said, hey, Pastor Ron, take over. But what do you say <laughs> to someone like that? Yeah. You, you know, D, I'm, I'm really direct with people like this because your nephew is not being honest intellectually. Um, you know, when somebody keeps searching, there's nothing more frustrating than searching, searching, searching and never finding. And that's what he's doing. And uh, uh, just just given the example that you gave, you know, he doesn't want to be constrained by work. He's doing that because he has a son to support. Uh, what, what a great opportunity to tell him, well, you know, that was not God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was it that, that the, the earth would produce for us. It would be so bountiful and so perfect that, that, that we wouldn't have to work. However, man, Adam and Eve, messed that up. And that's when work, which now is a part of the curse, work become a, uh, became a regular part of our routine. That's part of the curse. And the only freedom from that it's going to be on that day when we're liberated from this earth. If you want to talk about freedom or being liberated, the only way to do that is in Christ. And then I would say to him that the real problem isn't the constraints of this world, having to work and the other things. The real problem is that you have no freedom from sin. And that would give you an opportunity to share the gospel. You can't convince anyone, but if somebody is intellectually honest then they've got to come around to the place where they say, you know, everything I've tried, nothing has worked. And then you can invite them to come home to Jesus. They've got to be honest enough to admit that the problem is sin and that Jesus evidentially is the answer for sin. We can prove that Jesus is who he said he was. And then we can say, like the Apostle Paul uh, when he was Saul of Tarsus, like Peter and James and all the others, bond, in bondage to sin, but set free by Jesus Christ. The Bible, D, as you know, says the truth will set us free. And all your nephew has to do is honestly wrestle with what's true. And then finally, the last thing I would do is challenge him to start at the end and work backwards. And by that, I mean start at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. 
if you're really searching and you've done all this other reading, so why not read to find out what's true? If the empty tomb is true, it's it's the simplest test you can you can give yourself. If the empty tomb is true, then Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God in human flesh, then we have to do what he tells us to do and then believe him when he promises that that truth will set us free. And for the first time he can be free. The real problem, D, is that like the rest of the world, he is held captive to sin in his heart. But I'm always real direct. I don't let him try to sound intellectual. I just say, you know, all of that is nonsense. You know it's not true. Here's the problem. You're not being honest. The problem is you. The problem is sin. And Jesus wants to set you free. And then, as I know you are praying, praying for him is then the only thing that's going to change him. God, let the Spirit of God use you to work through that. But those are never honest questions. And um, when people keep searching and are never finding, um, the problem is the same old problem from the very beginning. The problem is sin. Dee, thank you for the call. Great question. And keep praying for your nephew. I know you will. We got uh, inside of four minutes now for this half of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Oliver asks, Pastor Ron, will the sins of Christians be remembered at the judgment seat of Christ? Oliver, the answer is no. Um, At the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, that's when we are going to receive our rewards. We will also lose rewards. So in terms of being remembered, the the things that we did with the wrong motives or the things that we did that we thought would get us uh, rewards in heaven, if our motive is wrong or or if we're doing it for the wrong reasons, uh, th- those things will be remembered in the sense that we will lose rewards. But our sins have all been paid for. Past, present, and future sins have all been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so our sins, and I'm going to use Jesus' own words, are as far from us as east is from west. They're thrown in the deepest, darkest ocean, completely wiped out. And Oliver, that ought to give you a lot of freedom because that means tomorrow's sins and next year's sins, all those sins are completely forgotten and they will never be brought up again. The only thing that will be judged at the Bema Seat of Christ or the Judgment Seat of Christ is uh, our works and the quality of those works will be determined. Whether they were good or bad, and, and that's what... Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but the reality is they're going to be tested for whether they were good or good for nothing. That's literally what it means. So uh, our sins will never stand. You know, I have a picture, Oliver, in my mind, and it comes from an old song that Crystal Lewis did called The Bloodstained Pages. Um, You know, we all have a book of our life. There's a book of the Lamb's book of life, but there's a book of our life as well. And all the sins that we ever committed are listed in that book. And um, I have a picture of Jesus opening that book and saying, okay, Ron, let's see how you did. And and he's going to find that he can't find a single sin because all of the pages, and in my case, Oliver, it's volumes. But every page is covered in bloodstains. And he can't read 
the description of my sins because they're all covered on those blood-stained pages. So don't worry about it. The loss of reward will be significant. It will be sad. But at the same time, we'll be received as family members in Christ. Good question, Oliver. Thank you very, very much. Hey, I want you to remember that tomorrow, uh, Pastor Hector Velarde from Calvary Chapel of North San Antonio will be my in-studio guest. We'd love you to have some questions for him to call. We've got 30 minutes left in our Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. We will be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back. Thanks for hanging in there with us. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. My producer just told me uh, during the break, that today is the anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing. Now, the reason that's really important to me is, um, and and I know Paula, you're listening, um, but but it seems like just yesterday we were on Interstate 10, coming from. Uh, we stopped overnight in Phoenix for se- several nights actually in Phoenix, coming from California. But we left Phoenix, and we started our way. Uh, here to San Antonio, and um, from from the moment we left Phoenix until we got to uh, the border of El Paso, uh, all the news was about Oklahoma City, and and I just when he told me that I, I was right back in the cab of that truck and driving with our hundred and twenty pound dog and my hundred and five pound wife and. Um, uh, it just—it's it, it, amazing where the time has gone. Um, but but on the same day, um, um, and he didn't mention this. Oh uh, well, later when we got to Texas, uh, it took us a long time to drive because we had an old dog and Paula was riding with an old person. Um, later in in the week, uh, we got to tech when we got to El Paso. All of the news was about Selena. She died. In- 31st, we'd never heard of Selena. It was amazing. It was like we got to El Paso and Oklahoma City never happened. It was all the news on the radio was all about her. But it just kind of dragged me back into that moment when we were coming to San Antonio for the very first time. I remember uh, hitting the, the Texas state line uh, when you cross into El Paso. And I remember looking, looking at Paula and saying, Paula, we're here. We're finally here. We made it. And then we drove another four or five miles, and there was a, a, a mileage sign that said San Antonio 592 miles. And I thought, oh, no. But it was uh, all Oklahoma City bombing, and then we got here. All the news was about Selena. Well, see, that's a little bit of biography for me. 
Here is an anonymous question. Uh, Where is God when I see the pain and suffering in this world and the hatred that is so prominent right now? Um, Anonymous, God is in heaven crying. Can you imagine how broken his heart is when he looks at pain? Now, one of the reasons we know this is because we remember Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, weeping bitterly. We remember that that Jesus looked out over the city of Jerusalem just shortly after that. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. Jesus was crying, and the reason he was crying was the same in both places. All of the pain, he came to relieve pain. He came to set us free. And while Lazarus walked out of the tomb, and he said, Remove the grave clothes, and he was free. The Jews in in Jerusalem, he came to his own, and his own received him not. And Jesus was crying then in exactly the same way, just in a different location. He's crying now. Now, Anonymous, one of the things that you've got to realize is that God isn't responsible for the pain and suffering, nor for the hatred, the racism, the poverty. God's not responsible for any of that. We humans messed up God's perfect creation. It started with Adam. He knew only good, and yet he chose Eve and fellowship with her over fellowship with God. And that's when the world began to die. So don't blame God for the pain that you see. I think sometimes there's an implication here that, well, if God is a God of love, then he shouldn't have uh, allow any pain, he shouldn't allow any suffering, and there shouldn't be any prejudice. But the truth is, God is going to judge all of those things. He's going to end the pain, he's going to end the suffering, he's going to end the hatred. But in the meantime, until he does, he's still trying to win people. It's God's kindness that leads to repentance. He's still trying to win people to his family. And if, in fact, we'll look up instead of looking out, we'll understand. Here's another picture, Anonymous, that I want you to keep in your heart. When Jesus was suffering on the cross, truly the only innocent person who ever walked the face of the earth, when pure evil blackest of darkness was being done to him. And he cried out for escape. His father said no. So our Jesus is acquainted with grief and suffering. And when you look around and see the pain, you're just sharing his heart. But remember, he's the answer to all of this. He's not the cause of it nor is he responsible for it. We have to stop as humans. We have to stop blaming God for the messes that we make on this earth. Thank you for the question. Here is Scott from Shirts Online 1. Scott, good to hear from you. You are on the air. God bless you, brother. Good to hear you on the air. Um, Thank you, man. I I got a little bit of a question from the answer you gave a little bit ago, um, because I always thought that uh, God instituted work um, like when um, before the fall because he had Adam tend 
and keep the garden, which maybe I'm maybe I should not be using work in that essence or something when I teach that. But I just wanted you maybe expound on that, or because after the fall, of course the ground was cursed. It was it was by the sweat of the brow or you know the the thistles and all of that. So it was hard work after mm-hmm. the fall. But um, anyway, uh, I just wanted to throw that out at you and, and hear your comment on that. I think it's uh, sure, chapter can... two, middle middle of the chapter, I think. Yeah, Scott, it wasn't really work. Now, work has always been, obviously, God lives outside time and space and knows everything. So so work has always been a part of work. But but there's a big difference when it's work or a labor of love. And in perfect fellowship, swallowed, covered by the Shekinah glory of God, what, what we would consider work is work. The, the word is actually to cultivate. Um, the, the garden would produce for them, but but would produce without work. So it wasn't when he's to tend the garden. It wasn't that it was a job that needed to be done. Uh, anything that, that Adam would have done would have just been gathering, would have been a, a labor of love, um, walking in the cool of the garden with Jesus. So the idea of work um, actually goes back farther than that. God worked for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. But in the same way, it was a labor of love for God, and it wasn't work. God wasn't tired, and he didn't didn't need rest. So the idea of work certainly is a, an idea that, that was born in heaven, but it, it's not anything like we can possibly understand it. That, that happened uh, with the fall when the ground was cursed, and choked out by thorns and thistles and weeds and 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 that's when when everything else began to happen. So um, you, it's not a misuse of the word, Scott, but our understanding of work after the fall is considerably different than Adam's use of work or tending the garden would have been. Good question. Thank you. Here is a question from Raul. He said, Jesus said the word obey his commands. So why don't Christians keep the Sabbath? I see what you're doing there. We are to obey him. And in fact, um, Raul, um, he said, if you love me, you will obey me. But where does Jesus say to us that we're to obey the Sabbath? In fact, a very large part of his ministry and the very reason he was condemned to death was because of the misunderstanding of the Sabbath. You see, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. And Jews had it completely backwards. No, man was made for the Sabbath. We have to keep it. If, In fact, there was a, a, a tradition that believed that if one Jew kept the, the, the law perfectly on one Sabbath day for a whole day that the Messiah would come. They just didn't understand what it was at all. So the, the command to keep the Sabbath was given not to the church, but was given to Israel. And unless we understand that, now, here's the connection people make. They'll always say something like, well, but but Israel was God's people, and now we're God's people, so because they had to keep the Sabbath, it's God's people. We have to keep the Sabbath. That's not um, um, effective Bible study. 
To us, we're told that we can esteem all days alike. One day is just like another. We're to keep Jesus at the center of our hearts all day, every day. We have that honor and privilege. One other thing Raul wants to remember, Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. He was our Sabbath rest. And so there's no need to observe a day any longer. And that's why the first century church, under a new covenant, a completely new covenant, that's why the first century church changed the day of worship. They didn't call it a Sabbath. They changed the day of worship to the first day of the week in honor of the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. So, Raul, that's the reason. Let's go to Thomas on line two. Thomas, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, am I on the air? You are on the air, Thomas. Thank you. <laughs> Ron, I was just messing around with that. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, what I wanted to, I wanted to, to ask you um, about... Uh, it was uh, Noah. Uh, during the time when he was, because uh, I, I read the story in, in the Bible and the accounts and stuff, but did he have a lot of, from what you can understand reading, did he have a lot of uh, interactions with the, uh, with the Nephilim at the time? Um, yeah, um, good question, Thomas. We, we, we don't have any detail on that at all. Now, the yeah, Nephilim... Yeah, okay. Yeah, the the Nephilim were 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 everywhere, and they were men of renown. They were they were famous. However, um, um, whether Noah had personal interaction with them or not, we would have no way at all of knowing. But but certainly he would have had knowledge. Certainly God would have shared what was going on and why the judgment of the flood was so severe. We read about him in in Genesis chapter six. And, and the only conclusion that you can make is that the, 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 the sons of God, that's a, a phrase that always and only means uh, angelic beings. Um, when, when they went into the daughters of men, they were crossing a boundary. Jude says that the, the angels who, who, who refused or who left their first estate, they crossed a boundary in their, in their rebellion. They crossed a boundary and uh, I believe it was Satan's attempt to so destroy, so pollute the human line that it would have been impossible for the Christ to come. That's what precipitated the flood. But uh, whether Noah, uh, where he was, had interaction with him or not, uh, we're not told. All I know for sure, Thomas, about Noah is that he was all alone. For 120 years, he preached and he built. And that was his mission. I, I often think and share with our church about Noah uh, out of Hebrews chapter 11, how difficult his life had to be, how difficult it had to be for his children, how difficult for, for Mrs. Noah. I mean, think about it. They were sort of the, the, the outcast, the one that everybody mocked and made fun of. But he stayed faithful and was witnessing not just through his preaching. Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness but also through the example of his faithfulness to God to do the work. 120 years to build that ark, and he remained faithful through it all. So the other question, Thomas, we really don't know for sure and have no way of knowing. There's just, the um, Bible doesn't tell us everything we'd like to know. It just tells us what we need to know. Thomas, thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question anonymously. 
Pastor Ron, is it wrong to watch church online instead of going in person? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's wrong. Um, uh, I, I would say that um, watching church online uh, doesn't allow us to use the gifts that God has given us. He, it doesn't allow us to interact with the people that are there. I can say to you, Anonymous, that it's wrong to watch church online if the reason you're staying home is because you're you're being lazy or because you don't want to serve or you don't want to give or you don't want to fight the traffic. You know, our, our life live, lived out for Jesus is to be sacrificial. And I think when we take the easy way out, I, I often call online church, church in pajamas. Uh, I, there's nothing wrong with it occasionally. But remember that in order to be effective with our gifts and in order to be blessed by others in the church, as all of us need to be, then we need to be a part of the body, an in-person part of the body of Christ. And uh, I, I just think sometimes we get so lazy. Occasionally, no no issues. But the people who are um, um, staying home because it's easier, even my own son, he says, Dad, uh, I, I say, so are you going to church? Where are you going to church? Oh, Dad, I, we, we have a church at home with you every Sunday. That's not enough. I have people from this radio show who say, I'm their pastor. No, I'm not. If you don't come to church, I'm not your pastor. Uh, I love the, the position that God has given me and the ability to do this program. But we all need to be a part of the Church of Jesus Christ in person, serving the Lord with gratitude in our hearts and a smile on our face. That's when the ministry opportunities come. So uh, if you are watching online um, because of the pandemic and because you're in one of the high-risk categories, God bless you. It isn't wonderful that God gives us this kind of technology. But if you're staying home for any other reason, and a lot of people for a long time have been away from church and it becomes habit-forming, we need to remember Worship is a sacrifice. And we got to make sacrifices in order to get blessed. So thank you for the question. Here is, we got a phone call from, I think, Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, good to hear from you. Thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi. Um, you know, um, I was uh, listening to you about a person asking you about why there's so much evil in the world and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. that's Adam. You know what really bugs me is, uh, and God, I think God, it just God put place this in my heart. It's about human trafficking. It really breaks my heart because what these, you know, girls are put put into day after day after day, and. I'm just praying about it and asking God, how can I help in, in the way you want me to help? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I just don't know where to go right now. I, I mean, I've been, I know he's leading me to the right, I don't know, he's gonna, I know he's leading me to the right direction, but I mean, I'm just, it just really breaks my heart. Yeah. Jimmy, you know, when, when Nehemiah um, went to Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls. Um, it was a result of a burden that God gave him on his heart. 
uh, when I started a free school and when we started here at Calvary Chapel, a, a free family practice doctor's office. Um, prior to those things getting going, God gave me this burden on my heart. So never uh, ignore those burdens. Um, pray for, for, for the people that God's given you a heart for. Pray for those who are being trafficked. And, and, and just share your heart. And, and at some point, God will give you an action plan. It may not be as quickly as we'd like, but, but these burdens that come from heaven are burdens that we really and truly need to listen to. And um, I'm, I'm, I hate to say it this way, Jimmy, but I'm thrilled that God gave you a burden because he wants to use you to do something. You begin with prayer, follow it by walking with Jesus every day, and one day you'll have a plan. You'll know exactly what to do. In the meantime, don't minimize the impact of your broken heart and your prayers. That's really important. The devil will try to make things, oh, you can't do anything about that. That problem is too big. You know, the truth is, Jimmy, that um, slave trafficking of all types has been a part of human history from the very beginning. God's own people were trafficked for 400 years. And God had to listen to their prayers. The, the burdens. Finally, a Moses shows up. So listen to the burden. Also, I think this is a good opportunity for me, Jimmy. Thank you for giving it to me. But it's a good opportunity for us to remember that um, for, for those of us who aren't affected directly by slavery, nobody in our life, uh, in our family's um, history, has ever been uh, in bondage, have been owned by other people. It, it also gives us a heart for those whose families have been affected by slavery. In all countries, um, when when you look at somebody who is African American, in in our culture, um, they have been impacted by slavery at some level, and we need to understand that we got a trial going on that's dividing our country all over again. I don't think actually there's as much division. I think the the outcome of this uh, Minnesota police officers' trial is is pretty much cast, um, but but the reality is that um, this issue of trafficking is never been dealt with in the world. That's why Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only source of freedom. So it, it's an opportunity for us to remember always, always, how the heart of God is broken by slavery of all types. The, the, the women who are being sex trafficked uh, in the world now, um, and, and they're right here in San Antonio. You can see them. They come from all parts of the world. Um, people that want to get here, there are people that are going to take advantage of that desire. And um, um, all of us, to one degree or another, ought to have the same burden in our hearts that Jimmy just called us with the burden in his heart. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate it very, very much. We're inside four minutes now. Let me see if we got another question. Uh, Robert says, uh, I am agnostic, hoping there is a God. I'm with you there, Robert, except for the agnostic part. How can I find the answers I'm looking for? Robert, here's what I can promise you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. 
He's looking for you. He's scanning the horizon like the father of the prodigal, waiting for you to come home. But here's what I want you to do. And I, I gave a similar answer to to Dee when she called about her nephew. Um, it's sort of a compromise to say, I'm hoping there's a God. The thing that we need to do, Robert, is find out. Find out. You know, just having the question, is there a God doesn't really resolve anything. Find out if there's a God. The evidence is overwhelming, and that God is the person of Jesus Christ. So just find out. Um, God will will reveal himself to you, uh, and all you have to do is have an honest, open heart, and if, in fact, you will be honest in your pursuit of God, then I promise you, you'll bump right into him. So how can you find the answers you're looking for? Stop looking and start finding. I'll tell you what I told Dee about her nephew in this manner as well. Start at the empty tomb. If Jesus said they were going to kill him, that he was going to rise in three days, if in fact the evidence points to a, a man who is dead, who is now alive, and then you look at the evidence of how that man who is dead, who is now alive, has changed the entire history of the world, the most influential man who's ever walked this earth. And he did it without the internet. The evidence is overwhelming. Just be willing when the evidence is presented to you to evaluate it honestly. If you're intellectually honest, Robert, I promise you that Jesus will be found by you. And I'm here to tell you, I was a skeptic for a very, very long time. I would have described myself as agnostic because I know how silly it is to be an atheist. But until I was desperate enough and wanted to deal with sin, I couldn't find him either. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Uh, Men's and Women's Bible Studies tonight at 7 o'clock on uh, you can watch at calvarysa.com. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 6.30 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.